with more time without Anders Lee, are they going to be able to adjust better and better? The trade deadline, April 12th, a couple of weeks from now, it would be a huge shock, I think, to everybody if a move is not made between now and then. Kyle Palmieri, I, I know what kind of guy he is, and he would fit into this Islanders room perfectly. Newsday presents the Island Ice Podcast with Andrew Gross. And welcome to Island Ice, Newsday's New York Islanders podcast. This is episode 76, and I am your host, Andrew Gross of Newsday. You can find me on Twitter at agrossnewsday, and also, please join the growing list of my new texting buddies on Newsday Islanders Text. It's your direct connection to one-on-one communication with me and other Newsday staffers covering the team. You can text 631 303 3766. That's 631-303-3766. Or you can go to newsday.com backslash Isles Text to start your 14-day trial subscription. In this episode, I'll talk to Greg Picker, the fine radio analyst for the Islanders, about a variety of timely subjects. Ilya Sorokin and Semyon Varlamov, the April 12th trade deadline, trying to fill Anders Lee's spot on Matthew Barzell's line, and the NHL firing referee Tim Peel for saying out loud, or at least onto a hot mic, Uh, What we all know happens, not just in the NHL, but in all sports, and that's referees uh, thinking about the makeup call. Uh, We'll also do a lengthy list of questions in Andrew's answers. But first, to catch up on the news, the Islanders, as we speak, are... uh, have landed in Boston or were on their way to Boston, and all indications are that Thursday night's game against the Bruins will proceed as scheduled after Tuesday night's game had to be postponed. Uh, The Bruins game in Buffalo on Saturday was also postponed with five Bruins, and that includes David Krejci, Jake DeBrusque, and uh, David Pasternak were all on the COVID list. Noah Dobson will also not be on the road for the remaining three games of this uh, road trip. Uh, And and if that Thursday night game is played, that will be a four-game trip. That was supposed to be a five-game trip. Tuesday night's game, as mentioned, was, was canceled or postponed, and they'll have to make that up at a future date. The Islanders uh, started the trip with a 2-1 uh, overtime win in Philadelphia against the Flyers on Monday. That wrapped up a uh, three-game series against the Flyers, the Islanders winning the last two games of those three. But uh, Noah Dobson, again, will not be on the road. Barry Trotz announcing that on Wednesday that uh, the defenseman who was on the COVID protocol list continues to be on the COVID protocol list um, will we'll, we'll remain at home. The Islanders have not publicly confirmed, of course, that he has tested positive for coronavirus because of the privacy uh, legalities with regard to player health. But at this point, that, that really seems like the only thing that, that could have happened. If this was just contact tracing, he would have been cleared by now. So Noah Dobson will uh, will remain back in New York as the Islanders go to Boston and then on to Pittsburgh for two more games uh, to conclude this road trip. Um, 
And even once he is cleared of, uh, uh, of the COVID protocol list, the Islanders and Noah Dobson have to be very careful about how he works himself back into game shape. And, uh, you know, I, I say carefully there because there, there is so little known about the long-term effects of COVID, even on a previously healthy athlete who presumably is in much better shape than the typical person who contracts uh, COVID. Um, there, there are concerns uh, about the effects on the heart and the lungs. They're just, like I said, there have not been enough studies done on, uh, on, on the long-term effects to, you know, to, to know how this can, uh, you know, impact a player over the long-term. And I, I recently asked Barry Trotz about those concerns. Um, yeah, yeah, you're right. There's, there's, we don't know enough about it, uh, yet we, I have to go with the science on this and, uh, and just have, uh, obviously, you know, the, uh, all the protocols on returning, uh, they're in place from the NHL in terms of some of the, uh, the heart monitoring and, and, uh, ramping up and all that. So all those protocols will be followed. And then, uh, you know, we have some, some, uh, some skating tests. We have all those things, uh, where we feel a guy can, can, can get back. Uh, we, 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 you know, the, the, you're right. We don't know enough about this. Um, so we'll just have to go with the, with the science and, and we're not going to put them in, uh, to put a player in any kind of danger at any point. So, um, we'll make sure he's fully ready with the information that we have and the science behind it to this point. And, and lastly, in the, in the subject of, uh, you know, news happenings, uh, the Islanders, following New York State guidelines, have expanded the way fans can enter Nassau Coliseum with regards to health and safety protocols. Now, the, the Knicks and the Rangers had already announced this, and, uh, and also the Yankees and Mets. And, of course, Yankees and Mets being a little bit different because they're playing in outdoor stadiums. But still, uh, the Islanders uh, fall into line with, with the other teams around the area. So starting on April 1st, and that's when the Islanders will host the Capitals at Nassau Coliseum, uh, ticket holders for that game... Um, in addition to a ticket, to get into the door, they must show, you, you can still show proof of a negative PCR test taken within 72 hours of game time. But now, the other options for, for gaining entry into the building include uh, a proof of a, a COVID-19 vaccine or proof of vaccination. That means 14 days have had to have passed since your last shot. That's uh, two weeks after your last shot is when you're considered fully immunized. So, uh, you know, in addition to the PCR test within 72 hours, if you have proof of vaccine and have gone two weeks since your last shot, that's good. Or uh, the third option is an antigen test taken within six hours of game time. All any any and all of those three will be accepted for entry into Nassau Coliseum. And, uh, you know, it's a, it's a sign that, you know, things are slightly returning to normal. We still have a long way to go. People still have to be vigilant. Still, people still need to be careful. Um, but, but there are ways with, with more and more people getting vaccinated each day, um, that, that, 
you know, life, you, you can see the light at the end of the tunnel, and, that, and that's a great thing. And uh, next up uh, will be my chat with Islanders radio analyst Greg Picker. But first, this message. Get the latest on the New York Islanders when you sign up to receive text alerts all season long. Newsday's Andrew Gross will text you real-time analysis and behind-the-scenes reporting for $4.99 a month. Go to newsday.com slash Text to get started or text 631-303-3766. That's 631-303-3766 or online at newsday.com slash Text. And so happy to be just talking to this dude again um greg picker he's been on the show uh, a few times always great to chat with him and uh, as greg and i have discussed uh it's not the same where you know we would be having pregame meals together or be on the same flight together or discussing you know our delta status together or anything like that but uh and, and greg also mentioned the first time uh, i had him on the podcast we we recorded this segment in a beautiful outdoor garden uh at the hotel right next to the arena in glendale arizona so zoom is a little bit different but uh anytime you get a chance to talk to greg is great greg how are you Doing well, Andrew. Uh, like you said, yes, this is a little different than the setting we had after a game in Arizona against the Coyotes, but uh, still always happy to join you. Yeah, no, that was the, uh, you uh, realigned the uh, the NHL segment, if I, if I recall. which That's ex- that's exactly the case. You and I both had our, our thoughts on it, and little did we know there was going to be a realignment <laughs> yeah. the next yeah. season. There were, were only, you know, two more weeks of action in, in the year usual alignment situation and uh you know things quickly changed and even when we get hopefully back to a normal realignment next year it's still gonna be a little different because you'll have seattle in the mix and it does seem like arizona will move from the pacific to the central when we get back to four regular type of divisions but that's still a conversation for after this season comes to its conclusion. Yeah. And, and I, I gotta be honest, you know, I'm hoping as you make air quotes with your fingers, you know, I'm hoping normal includes, you know, getting back out on the road and, and having more interpersonal reactions with the team. And I'm hoping the, the, the new normal includes a, a trip to Seattle at some point. I, I have not been to Seattle since 2001 for uh, the Yankees Mariners uh, AL uh, championship series. And what, what a wonderful city Seattle is. I'm so happy it's in the league. I've gotten familiar with the airport traveling through Seattle to get to Vancouver a few times (laughs) over the last few years, but uh, have never actually gotten to see the city. Beautiful landing though. When you pass by the mountains, you head into Seattle's airport. The Pacific Northwest and including Vancouver in this is just one of one of the best places on earth. I, I love the Pacific uh, Northwest. I love I love the Southwest, like Arizona's, New Mexico, that that area. I, you know, a lot of it's an amazing country because it's so you know there's so many different types of environments to to see but that's not why people are uh, tuning into the island ice podcast and uh, this isn't geography hour with andrew and greg no 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 that's our new podcast coming up <laughs> on spotify next week uh a lot of a lot of different ways to start here with with the islanders um let me let me start with a, a broader picture um the loss of captain anders lee 
What have you seen the Islanders' response to that be? What do you think needs to happen heading into the April 12th trade deadline? And with more time without Anders Lee, are they going to be able to adjust better and better? I think it's no secret that the first line hasn't quite been at that same level. I mean, Matt Barzell only has one goal in his last 13 games. He only has one point of any type in his last five games. So certainly it's a little bit of a different feel for him not skating with Anders on his left and, and Jordan Eberle is still there on the right. And obviously Eberle got off uh, a little bit of a, a drought with a, a goal a couple of games ago against the Flyers. But hey, when you talk about the trade deadline, I think the conversation is a lot different right now than it would have been two weeks ago. There really wasn't much cap room for Lou Lamorell to work with. And he came right out and said it. Now we have more cap room than we were expected to have. So uh, I'm sure it would be a shock to all of us if he doesn't go out and use it and really solidify that top line or a, a top six type of wing position, whether you move everything else around to, it doesn't necessarily mean that somebody coming in will be the winger alongside Matt Barzell and Jordan Everly. It could be somebody coming into the second line and that moves up a winger from the second line or even an Oliver Wallstrom moves up uh, in the lineup and you have somebody to fill in a middle six role. So We'll see the trade deadline, April 12th, a couple of weeks from now, it would be a huge shock. I think to everybody, if a move is not made between now and then, but the price has to be right. Yeah, no. And you know, you, you bring up Ollie uh, Wallstrom and uh, the, the thing is he's a right wing. He has played right wing. I don't know how comfortable he is as a left wing. Um, and Anders Lee, obviously you're looking to, to fill that left wing spot. Could you see something, you know, a, do you think Jordan Everly can make that transition to the left side? And if not, if if Wallstrom ever played on that top line, would you have to switch switch like a, a, a Josh Bailey, who, who we know can play the left wing? Yeah, that's the name that I was going to put out there. Even an Anthony Bovelli, who has had some success with Matt Barzell in the past. Um, so, again, because although the last few seasons it's been pretty consistent, of Matt Barzell with Jordan Eberle and Anders Lee. There have been times where there was even a bit of a drought a few weeks ago and the entire top nine got reconfigured. So there's no reason why we can't expect to see a Josh Bailey fit into that spot on the left side. It allows Oliver Wallstrom to go up onto the top line right side. Uh, thankfully, even without Anders Lee, the Islanders have been able to put together points in most of their games. Uh, they had a few regulation losses in the mix, two to Washington and, and one to the Flyers but they've still been able to stay in a top two spot throughout the East division. And although they've played a couple more games than Washington right now, have two more points than the caps. Yeah. And right now, Leo Komarov is, or the last two games, Leo Komarov's gotten that audition on, on Barzi's line. And, you know, it's funny when you, you watch Leo, you see everything that, you know, that Barry does like in his game, you know, the play along the wall, the, the puck retrieval, you know, the simple game. And, and basically he, he knows his job out there is to get the puck to Matthew Barzell and, and, and Jordan Everly, but, it, but also you see why it wouldn't work. You know, the times that Barzi has the, the puck and is looking to outlet, you know, there was one, one play Leo's, uh, you know, kind of skating towards the left post and he just couldn't, you know, he couldn't tee it up on his stick. Whereas maybe, you know, a, a guy who's more used to that role might've been able to get off a shot. So. 
It's not necessarily the role that Leo will likely be in on a full-time basis, but I think if you're the Islanders and you're going to try to make it out of the East division and make it into the, the final four this year, because there are no conference finals, it's just a semifinal and final, you're probably going to have to go through the Boston Bruins at some point in the playoffs. Leo Komarov loves playing against Boston Bruins and in particular, Brad Marchand. So yeah. I think that if you're going up in a playoff series against the bees, Leo's going to be in every game. He's going to do his thing being a pest against maybe the biggest pest in the entire national hockey league. And I go back to the game on March 9th, Leo had been out for a few games right in a row. And I'm in the pregame with Corey Wright and my radio partner, Chris King hands me a note and all it says is, 47 for 28. So he's saying Leo Komarov in, Michael Dalcole out. And the Islanders were rolling at this point. So you do usually don't make a lot of changes. And I wrote back to him, maybe it's to throw Brad Marchand off his game. In a post game, Barry Trotz said, yeah, you know, Leo's had some uh, some battles with Marchand in the past. So I wanted that matchup out there. The Islanders won. Marchand took a penalty. That was the game where he actually went at Oliver Wallstrom after he didn't like the hit that Wallstrom put on a Bruin and caused a penalty, a power play for the Islanders. The Islanders scored on that power play. Mar- Marchand also missed that last shootout attempt, not saying that that was the direct result of Leo Komarov being in the lineup, but it's still the type of thing that I think Leo could be pivotal if you have a playoff series against the Bruins and the Islanders still have four games against the Bees all in Boston this season and the four games at the Coliseum, they're perfect 4-0-0. They are 4-0-0 against the Bruins and they're also 11-1-0 against the Sabres and Devils. Um, I'm I'm bad at math as we know, but Against the rest of the East Division, that would make them just six, seven, and four. If you take the four Bruins wins out of them, they're 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 ten, seven, and four against anyone not named the uh, uh, the the Sabers or Devils. So, you know, I know they just came off two wins against uh, what may be a fading Flyers team here. But does do, do those numbers give you any kind of pause or does it just speak more to how competitive this division really is? I think out of everybody in the division, the only team that the Islanders have really struggled with are the Capitals, but they really could have won a couple of those games. Remember, they in their three losses, they gave up a game-winning goal in the final minute. They blew a 3-0 lead, ended up losing 6-3. And then this last game against the Caps was maybe their their least competitive in, in a yeah. while. They were down 3-0 and then just got a third-period power play goal late to make it a 3-1 game. So that's the only team that they really struggled with. Even the Penguins, where they only have a, a couple of wins, they could easily have won four of those six games against Pittsburgh. And I think if you're going up against the Penguins in a playoff series right now, you'd take the Islanders, especially considering – Penguins have had more goaltending issues than the Islanders have had this season. So even though they've been beating up on the two bottom teams in the Sabres and the Devils, you still have to, if you're a good team, you have to beat those teams at the bottom. You can't struggle against them or even just go 500 or else you're really not a top team in your own division. And and that's what we've seen so far. The Islanders have had those six games against the Sabres and have been pretty much close to perfect against Buffalo. And they they are in in a record wise, they are 6-0-0. But just play-wise, pretty much close to perfect throughout the 60 minutes of each of those games. Yeah, well, I mean, even when the Sabres have good games, they they don't know how to win. And and, and I, I feel sort of guilty lumping the Devils in with the Sabres because I, I think the Devils are, are, are certainly a much better team than the Sabres. 
Um, it, it's just that the Islanders have played really, really well against the Devils as well. Um, you know, that it, you, you brought up the goaltending, which is, is a good transition because, uh, what was it, maybe a week or so ago, maybe it was two weeks ago, everything kind of blends together. But Barry Trotz was asked about, you know, rotating Semyon Varlamov and Ilya Sorokin and, you know, uh, going forward. And Barry made the comment that there's, you know, he feels like a goalie has to be in the NHL for a hundred games before there's any kind of goalie controversy. And, and of course, uh, Varley is still the number one goalie. Well, uh, you know, as we speak, Ilya Sorokin is coming off the first consecutive starts in his NHL career. He's won eight straight games and he just looks better and better each time he's in the net. And I, I'm starting to wonder here, you know, we, we had all gone with the, uh, the assumption that, you know, the regular season was going to be the regular season. And if, and when the Islanders got to the playoffs, Varley, like last season, when he, you know, played, what was it? 20 of the 22 postseason games, I believe he was going to be the main man in net. And now I'm starting to question whether Ilya Sorokin has pushed himself to a position where he is in consideration, you know, to, to, to be a playoff starter here. There's still 23 games left in the regular season. So it's still a little too early in my mind to make that judgment of hopefully the Islanders continue to stay not just in the top four, but in the top two or even top one position in the East and are going to the playoffs. So still till still a little too early for me to determine whether or not there is that controversy for game one. I, I think that you're going to, really say it's it's Varley's net to lose and he has not struggled at all it's just been that as of late Ilya has been so great especially that last Flyers game that the Islanders win 2-1 in overtime and he was without a doubt the best player for either team in that game they don't even get a single point if it's not for the play of Ilya Sorokin I think from the beginning of the season when it was really okay Varley's going to get four of every five games and then kind of tr slowly transition, okay, maybe he's going to get three out of every four, and then there's going to be a point where he gets two out of every three. So slowly getting Sorokin more and more games in that mix, there was that point where they were alternating starts for 11 straight games. It was still, and Barry was asked about it, I think you were the one pressing him on it. Is there a little bit of, not a, a controversy, but has Varley not, is Varlamov not the one, number one guy? Is it a 1A, 1B situation? And Barry kept saying, no, it's still Varley's net. Ilya is still our second option, if you will. So I think that really just goes to say that if the playoffs started today, it's still Varlamov and Varlamov's net to lose. But you know what? If you are alternating starts the rest of the way, then that's even better for Semyon coming into the playoff time. He'll be well-rested, especially in this condensed schedule where if you're going up against a team that really has its number one starter throughout the entire season who could be really tired going into the playoffs. Yeah, you know, and, and I think what we're seeing, and, and the Islanders, you know, have had it, it, it all the time under under Barry, whether it was Robin Leonard, Thomas Grice, or last season – uh, Varlamov, Thomas Grace, and this season with Varlamov and Thomas Grace, just almost what a luxury it is to have basically two number one goalies. I mean, you look around the rest of the division, the Flyers 
are being sunk because they can't get good goaltending, uh, either from Carter Hart, who they thought was their goaltender of the future, or Brian Elliott, who did who did play a pretty decent game against the uh, uh, the Islanders, but he was pulled from that nine nothing loss to the uh, to the the Rangers his la- his previous start. I think both Flyers goalies have save percentages under you know nine hundred. Which is I just want to mention that Flyers game, which the Islanders won two one. That was the first game in the month of March in which the Flyers allowed fewer than three goals against. And that, that just says everything about the way their their defense and their goaltending has been as of late. And, but but you look around, it's not just the Flyers. So like the Penguins, you know, have a pretty good core still. Um, and, and the and the real question is Tristan Jarry and uh, Casey DeSmith, and how good are those two going to be? And you know they they've been much better of late. Um, I mean the Sabers, you know, have been sunk for a million different reasons, but they haven't gotten good goaltending. Um, and even the Capitals have kind of had to piecemeal it at, at times this season. You know, they they thought Ilya Samsonov was going to be the guy with Henrik Lundqvist backing him up. And, and, and Hank, of course, had that unfortunate heart issue. Um, and then Samsonov was out for a long time because of COVID. So I, I just think it really speaks to what a luxury the, the Islanders have here with, with these two guys. And unlike a normal season where we're comparing against the division, the entire conference and the league, we're really just looking at the yeah. division because of the way things are. And that's, the only competition that you're going up against until maybe just the final four, the semifinal of the playoff. And Semyon Varlamov, of course, a 923 save percentage. So he's right up there. And if you're looking from comparison around the division of guys that are up there, I mean, you have to go a little bit down the list. I mean, Vitek Vanacek, who is the number one goaltender for the most part this season because of the issues to Samsonov, as you mentioned, he has a 9-1-1 save percentage for the Capitals. So you really have to go down. I mean, Igor Shesterkin has been playing well, 921 save percentage for the Rangers, but are they going to be in the playoff mix? You know, they're trying to push their way back up in there, but there's still a bit of a gap between them, the sixth spot and the number four position, the last playoff spot. So the Islanders really have to be thrilled with, and it's not a surprise in the least considering the way things have gone that you haven't had the same duo in net for the three seasons now that Barry Trotz and his group have been behind the helm. So it's not a surprise at all, but you just have to be thrilled that, you know, going into every night, you can trust the goaltender, no matter if it's Semyon Varlamov or Ilya Sorokin. Yeah, no, we mentioned that the Islanders played Monday in Philadelphia, that 2-1 overtime win, and they were supposed to play Tuesday in Boston. And that game, obviously, PPD with uh, five Bruins on the uh, COVID list still as of, uh, as of Tuesday. Um, supposed to play up there Thursday, but, you know, I, I know the players and, and Barry talked about this, but I think this is going to be huge for the Islanders to just get that, you know, one or two days of a mental break here. You could just see that the team w- was dragging a little bit, even though they were getting points here and there. I, I, I thought the schedule was catching up to them for sure. Uh, yeah, I mean, you could definitely say that um, even though they had that nine game winning streak, it was a close call game number in high in that win against the Devils in the shootout that looked like it was going to be an overtime loss. And you have to go back to 2012-13, the lockout condensed schedule, the last time you had more of a sprint than a marathon. And the games 
really pile up on you. And the Islanders were more at the forefront compared to everybody else in terms of playing more than the rest of the division. So they've had the more compact schedule the first half of the year, and it will allow them to be a little bit less condensed the rest of the way. But now they'll have to add on a game against the Bruins, and we'll see when that is made up. Do they have to go into the final week after the original end of the regular season? We know that the NHL added that gap between the end of the regular season and the playoffs but we'll see the nhl schedule makers usually uh, get to do their thing over the spring announce it in june and okay maybe you have one snow game that gets postponed throughout the entire league throughout the course of the year they've had to deal obviously with a ton of COVID issues and then some snow issues in dallas snow issue no surprise in colorado that that delayed the la kings from traveling out for their game back home in california it's they have not been able to sleep this year the nhl schedule makers <laughs> no that's i think if there's one job i would absolutely not want it, it, it's a schedule makers job uh, i mean especially this season you know you mentioned it earlier in our chat but uh the islanders you know going into their next game only have 23 remaining um and I know that's a much bigger percentage in a 56-game season than in an 82-game series uh, season. But still, it's it's getting close to the end. I mean, 23 games is going to go pretty quickly. And before you know it, I, you know you're you're going to zoom past the April 12th trade deadline, and 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 it is going to be the playoffs. So, uh, it, does it does this season feel? you know, like it is zipping along at this point to you or? Yeah, I'd have to think so. And, and my first year being a part of, of things on an official capacity was 2012-13, that lockout short year. So that was my welcome to working for an NHL franchise where it felt like we were playing every other night and quite often three and fours type of thing. So you got used to it being thrown into the fire pretty quickly there. You know, I think now that we're in the second half of the year, it allows you to really take a look at the standings and say, okay, how are they in the playoff picture? You look at number five, the team on the outside looking in, the Philadelphia Flyers, and all of a sudden there's a 12-point gap between the Islanders and the first team on the outside looking in. So that makes you feel pretty good going into now beyond the second half, uh, the start of the second half of the season. Yeah, no, I mean, if you were looking at an 82-game season, you'd say, boy, you know, 12 points behind with, you know, 23 to go. That's, you know, there, there's never a lock, but you, you're going to have to work really hard to, you know, to overcome that if you're the Flyers. Um, hey, I, I just wanted to finish on, on one sort of non-Islanders note with you, and, and that was the news coming down uh, this morning that the NHL has said that referee Tim Peel uh, will – no longer work any more NHL games now or in the future. Now, Tim was, you know, he was supposed to retire after the season. Anyway, his last game was scheduled to be April 24th. So really they're just sending him into retirement a month early, but you know, it, it was serious why the NHL reacted like this. Basically he was caught on a hot mic uh, you know, he had a Predators game and he was caught basically saying he wanted to give the Predators a, uh, and he, and he cursed, he wanted to give the Predators a penalty. And, uh, you know, regardless of whether refs try and even things out or not, 
the NHL can't have that kind of public perception that the referees are not playing this evenly. I think it's kind of been an open secret that game management is a thing where if a team takes three or four consecutive penalties, if they do the slightest thing wrong, there's going to be a a penalty the opposite way as the next infraction. And if you go to the end of the season and just take a look, okay, the teams that are called for the most penalties also happen to draw the most penalties and vice versa at the bottom of the list, the team that goes on the power play the fewest number of times is really at the bottom or towards the bottom of the fewest penalty kills as well. It kind of just human nature in a way that the referees, they're human as well. And it's really difficult for them to, to call to, to look at a game and a team has seven power plays and the opposition only has one. It's kind of just a natural thing, but that's not the way it should be called. And so for somebody to blatantly say that they're calling it in that manner, and it's not, it wasn't a personal vendetta against the Predators. It's, it's game management. But unfortunately for Tim Peel and the NHL, it was actually said out loud. I think anybody who's been watching this game long enough, long enough kind of knows that what we just kind of alluded to, that penalties are going to go back and forth throughout a contest. And they don't really want to be the ones deciding a game are the officials. So it's unfortunate that it, it happened. And maybe though, by making sort of an example out of Tim Peel, a referee will have a second guess about calling game management type of penalties. And we will see more of deserved four power plays to one when a game is, is over instead of three to three, just matching things up. Yeah, no, I, I, I think, and I should say that this is in no way like the the situation the NBA had with uh, Tim Donahue, I believe was the referee's name, where you know he was he was in with bad people and he was shaving points and he was directly influencing you know how the games were the outcome of the games, uh, or at least trying to, to 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 work with the point spread. This is nothing like that. But I, I think you make an excellent point, and it's one I've been thinking of is. Going forward here, the NHL is going to be very, very sensitive, certainly for the rest of this season and and, and the playoffs. Uh, I'm sure there are memos being written and going out. Uh, I'm sure there are, you know, meetings that are going to be had with the referees and the linesmen uh, about not being in this situation and not having this game management mentality. And I think you're going to see differently refereed games over the rest of the season and and going into the playoffs where it is possible if, you know, they're they're not going to be these, these makeup calls because the NHL is going to be very sensitive to that right now. Yeah. I I just have to agree with you there. I mean, when we're on the broadcast and we'll flat out say, okay, three consecutive calls have gone for the Islanders. You have to be extra careful right now because the slightest hold, the slightest interference, it's going to be called against you. And we just see it. It's it's game management is what it is. It's been an open secret. It's not necessarily the way things are supposed to be called, but that's just the nature of referees. And you know what? Hopefully it'll uh, change the other direction going forward. Yeah, and uh, <laughs> and maybe maybe it means fewer penalties on Matthew Barzell going forward. You know that 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 might be good. But listen, Greg, as always, a pleasure having you on. A pleasure speaking to you. I love your hockey knowledge. I love uh, you know uh, 
chewing on the fat when it comes to the NHL and the Islanders. And uh, I will see you at a rink, uh, a rink very soon. And we got to get that geography podcast going, as you mentioned. Absolutely. <laughs> Maybe we can call it something like fun with flags or fun with geography. <laughs> fun with flights, fun with miles. Fun with, oh, we could do a great airplane podcast. <laughs> we really could. <laughs> it was funny. My wife, uh, my wife was thinking of uh, taking a trip uh, to uh, a friend is graduating in, uh, in Knoxville, Tennessee from veterinary school. So my wife was invited to the graduation and it was the first time I had looked at flights in a year to, to try and figure out how to get my wife to, to Knoxville. So yeah, uh, it's a, it's a skill that both of us have because of our jobs and uh, that that'll be a fun podcast. Greg and Andrew, Fun with flights coming soon. It's always a blast, Andrew. Thanks for having me on. Thanks, Greg. And thanks again to uh, to Greg and uh, for taking the time to chat. Uh, it's always, as I've said to him and I've said to you, it's always great chatting with Greg, a really good hockey mind, very good analyst. And uh, if you want to give him a follow on Twitter, you can do so. Please do at, at Greg Picker here. And as I mentioned at the start of this episode, we've got a lengthy list of questions. So without uh, further ado, it's time for your questions with Andrew's Answers. And the uh, first batch of questions here, again, come to us via Islanders Newsday text, which again is your best way to communicate directly one-on-one with me. And uh, as I've said, I've developed a real texting friendship with some of these people over the uh, the time we've had this service. So please hop on board with that. Um, Al Payone says, so here's a question. If Lou can't get a deal done for a top six guy to fill Anders Lee's spot and he makes a lesser deal, who should Barry Trotz put on that top line and leave them there to get them going? Well, as, as you heard Greg and I discuss... Um, I, I think, you know, uh, Oliver Wallstrom is is developing into a top six player, uh, top six forward. And obviously you don't want to maybe take him away from J.G. Pajot and the chemistry they've built up. That seems to be working right now. Um, long term, though, you know, you're, you're going to have to give a guy like that more and more ice time. Um, and, and again, as, as Greg and I discussed, Oliver being much more of a right wing, would that mean having to switch Jordan Eberle or, or move Josh Bailey there and get him to the left side? Uh, those are options. Um, you know, if Lou can't get a deal done, you know, I, I think Oliver Wallstrom is the best top six forward candidate in-house. Obviously, we saw Kiefer Bellows there too. He fits in a little bit better just in that you don't have to tinker with the rest of the lineup as much if Kiefer goes in with Kiefer being able to play uh, the left side so easily. You can leave Jordan with Matthew Barzell. Um, But really, you know, uh, and and we'll see, you know, come April 13th, ask me that question again. Uh, you know, but I, I really think Oliver Wallstrom is the best in-house candidate. Um, Thomas Boyle asks, do you see the Islanders trading for a player with one year 
of term left, like Philip Forsberg of the Nashville Predators, as a backup in the event that Lee is not ready for the start of the regular season. Uh, and that, that means, you know, next next October, November, uh, probably October, I would think, when they uh, drop the puck on the 21-22 regular season, uh, which will be the first season at UBS Arena, uh, which is targeted to open in November. Um, getting back to the question, do I see the Islanders trading for a player with one year left of term? Look, I, I think any of the other teams in the NHL would love to have Philip Forsberg on their roster. I I really think, and, uh, and Lou is kind of, uh, I forget whether he said it directly, but, you know, he certainly heavily implied that he, he's looking much more at rentals. Like every team in the NHL, there is a cap crunch coming and in, in, in the midst of, uh, with a flat salary cap at $81.5 million. The Islanders have a little bit of wiggle room now, unfortunately, because of Anders Lee's injury. They can use long-term injured reserve and spend Lee's cap hit of $7 million over the $81.5 million uh, salary cap ceiling. But that, of course, goes away as soon as Lee is is healthy. Lou Lamoriello's expectation, the organization's expectation, is that Anders Lee does come back healthy after having surgery to repair a torn right ACL. Lou was saying the organization was hopeful because there was no other damage shown. You know, it's not like he had an ACL plus, not to minimize what an ACL is and, and how difficult the rehab from that is. But the expectation is that right now that Anders Lee will be ready uh, next season. So no, I, I don't see them going uh, to bring in a player with term remaining in, in his contract. I, I, I think the priority is the rental. And John Pisano asks, the biggest question I think on everyone's mind is are there any rumblings on who Lou's looking at? Just a name or two, you know, and I've said this many times about Lou, as soon as there are any rumblings or, or, or you know, who he is looking at, Lou might actually might not make that deal just because uh, the knowledge has become public or been leaked. So uh, the very few rumblings on, on who Lou is centered in on, is centered in on. And, you know, I, I think back to last season when we all were all kind of speculating about Jean-Gabriel Pajot, uh, you never heard anything really coming out of the organization on that. Uh, it just seemed that Pajot was a logical fit. And then lo and behold, at the trade deadline, they do acquire Pajot. Um, and Lou has talked many, many times about the fact that it was not only the, uh, that the player on the ice and what Pajot would bring in lengthening the lineup, giving you that solid third line center and also a guy, you know, you can plug in double shift on the wings. You can use on the power play, uh, penalty kill. We, we've gone over all of this. Um, but it was his character off the ice and, and how well they thought he would fit into the group, and Lou repeated that the last time he spoke with the media, that, you know, the the, the character and, and not messing up the chemistry in the room is of utmost importance to him and Barry. So, you know, you know they're looking at stuff like that in addition to the on-ice, you know, names, uh, you know, at one point, Nick Foligno for the Blue Jackets, you would have thought, you know, would have hit the mark on both 
uh, you know, productive player uh, on the ice and certainly a, you know, stand-up guy in the room, the Blue Jackets captain. Um, I've been advocating for a guy I covered in New Jersey, uh, Kyle Palmieri. Interestingly, not really a holdover from Lou Lamarillo's New Jersey Devils tenure. Um, that, that was a Ray Shiro deal. Uh, but Kyle Palmieri, I, I know what kind of guy he is, and he would fit into this Islanders room perfectly. Um, you know, and I would think the Islanders would be inquiring on that, even though I know, you know, Kyle, who is an impending UFA, uh, you know, I, I know, I think his preference certainly is to remain with the New Jersey Devils, and they're hoping to get a deal worked out there. But if the Devils do deal Kyle Palmieri, I think he jumps to the top of the list uh, of someone the Islanders should look at. I wrote a column about that this past Sunday. If you want to read more about that, that's at uh, uh, newsday.com backslash Isles. You can scroll through for that. Michael Tricarico goes... I know that earlier in the season, you liked the Flyers as one of the playoff teams in the East. Uh, yes, I did, Mike T. And in fact, uh, at one point, I think I might have said they were, they were the best of the bunch. Uh, but given their defensive struggles, and this is Michael Tricarico's question uh, again, uh, given their defensive struggles, do you think they are still in it? Um, it seems to me that the odds on favorites at this point for the playoffs are the Islanders, Capitals, Penguins, and Bruins. Not necessarily in that order. Your current thoughts as to how the division will shake out. And yeah, you know, I, I'm not afraid to admit uh, that I might have been wrong about the Flyers. I certainly saw a lot of them this past week. And then I also saw their game against the Devils uh, the other night. And... Boy, as as Greg Picker and I discussed, goaltending just is a real issue, and that is probably going to sink them. Uh, if you don't have the goaltending, you're just not going anywhere. And and right now, the Flyers do not have the goaltending between Carter Hart or Brian Elliott. So yeah, I I would say you were, you know, by by process of elimination, really. Uh, it's the Islanders, Capitals, Penguins, and Bruins. I know, you know, not that there are Ranger fans listening to podcasts, but there are Ranger fans out there going, yeah, but what about my team? Well, why why not the Rangers? And I, I've said repeatedly, I just don't see the Rangers being consistent enough um, on, a, on a daily basis to get into that playoff mix. I think their time is still in the future. So, yeah, and not in that order. The Islanders, Caps, Pens, and, and the Bruins are the four teams I expect to, to be in the playoffs, uh, you know, and a little bit over, uh, what is it, about six weeks now. 23 games left for the Islanders, as mentioned, and it will go quickly. And now uh, on to a few questions via Twitter. Uh, let's see, L.I. Strong is asking, what about explaining a trade for Patrick Kane? Any chance Lou gives the Blackhawks a call? I know he signed for two years after this at a big number and he has a no-move clause, but he could be the answer to putting us over the top. Not likely, but Lou has worked magic before. Um, yeah, uh, everything you say here is is kind of correct. Lou has pulled off some trades in the past, be it with, you know, with, with the Maple Leafs or, or the Devils, where you were like, huh, I didn't see that one coming. Um, but also, Patrick Kane, you know, he's, he's, he's a Blackhawks legend, obviously. And 
look, he, he's the kind of guy that could put any team over the top, uh, you know, that kind of talent. And, you know, I wouldn't put it past Lou. Lou is calling everyone. You know, that's what a good GM does. He, he's, he's sussing out the market. But the, the chances of Patrick Kane coming to the Blackhawks, given what I spoke about earlier about, you know, Lou looking more for a rental, uh, that one, look, if that one happens, I will be highly, highly, highly surprised. But get back to me then, Li Strong, because you will have you know you'll you'll have won some kind of prize for for calling that trade. I I don't see that one happening. Uh, Jonathan Five says, uh, how do you see the goalie split going the rest of the season? Varley's still probably your number one, but Sorokin has been playing very well once he gets uh, once he gets uh, locked down in his rebound control, which is a very good point. That's and I was going to mention that to Greg. That is the one thing in his game that. I, I still see is is lacking a little bit. He leaves pucks in front of the crease. He hasn't been burned consistently by it, but in the playoffs, you know, against a team like Tampa Bay, that that could be a real problem. Um, and as you heard me discuss with uh, uh, Greg, you know, Greg still thinks Varley is the number one come to the playoffs. Uh, he would have to play himself out of that role. I, I certainly think Sorokin has been outstanding uh, as of right now. Uh, he's extending every time he wins. He extends his franchise record for rookie goalies for consecutive wins. He's up to eight right now. And uh, honestly, you know, I think Greg mentioned this. You take that Ranger game out um, and and Sorokin's numbers are off the charts. They really... They really, really are, uh, and I'm talking about that five nothing loss in his NHL debut when he got thrown into the game literally right before faceoff when uh, when Varley got hurt in warm ups. So, um, you know, I'm taking Barry at his word right now that he still considers Varley the number one. Um, but with this heavy, heavy schedule, you really have seen Barry alternating the two goalies. You know. And, and Sorokin's earned that ice time, and I think there's a, a high level of trust either way. Um, come playoff time again, you know, Greg's probably right. You know, Varley probably starts game one, but it's nice to know you, you got Ilya Sorokin there for game two if, if anything uh, goes really off the rails in game one. Um, Jeff says, uh, with Lee out for the year, who do you think is the best for best fit for Barzell's left wing, ignoring trades, so internal candidates only. Um, technically, uh, if you're talking about for Barzell's left wing, and I mentioned Oliver Wallstrom was the best in-house candidate to move up to the top line. I don't think you're going to see Wally uh, on the left wing. Um, I, I liked Greg's idea, you know, maybe you get Beauvillier, Barzell, and Wallstrom going together. That, that, that could be a heck of a line. And certainly uh, Barzell and Bo have a lot of history together as well. Um, Andy Hicks says, um, this is not a dig at Leo. Boy, that, that's rough when you, you have to quali- qualify that it's not a dig. I'm sorry, Andy. I'll, I'll continue. This is not a dig at Leo as he is a league veteran, but he clearly doesn't have the stamina to play on the first line with Barzell. And I'll stop you right there. I Stamina is not the issue. Leo's in, in, in really good 
good shape. It's not stamina. It, it may be skating speed is what you may be referring to. And also the offensive instincts uh, that Barzell is looking to, to play with. That That's not Leo's game. Um, what What is the thinking behind playing him up there? You could use Michael Dalcal if Leo has to play uh, as Nelson and Bailey are not as dynamic and barzy as Everly. Um, they, they've, they've tried Michael Dalcal up there, and, and he sort of gives you the same thing Leo does, which is, uh, you know, that kind of that grinder along the wall. Um, you know, good at puck retrievals, simple game, keep your feet moving and uh, get the puck to Barzi and Eberle. Um Look, I, I don't think either Michael Dalcal or Leo Komarov, you know, accentuates or, you know, makes Matthew Barzell or Jordan Eberle the best they can be. Uh, you know, you're looking, that, that's the top line. So you want you know, an Anders Lee-like quality there, you know, that really skillful offensive player. And, you know, obviously Anders Lee is hurt, so now you're, you're, you're looking to fill, fill that role. And you also have to consider the defense because that line is going to be on against other top lines and you're going to have to play some good defense. You want those, those three playing up the ice. So, you know, in that way, Dalcal or Leo fits in okay. But really, I think that's why, you know, Lou Lamarillo has not made it a secret that he is looking to improve the team via trade. Um, uh, you know, plain and simple, you need a, a productive scoring wing who you trust defensively. And I think, you know, with with the $7 million to spend, Lou can find something out, out there you know, as a rental for the rest of this season, um, you know, where where you can, uh, you know, f- uh, lift Barzell and, and, and Jordan's game. Um, Christian Lucan says, simply, will Lou pull the trigger f- at the trade deadline? And I will say simply, yes. Uh, there, I, I certainly see Lou, if not just one trade, and as I wrote again in my Sunday column when I advocated for acquiring, if possible, Kyle Palmieri, you know, Kyle's in, I think he's in at 4.35, 4.5, somewhere around there, but you could also, you know, get a defenseman in, uh, in addition to, uh, to, uh, to getting Kyle Palmieri in. And, uh, you know, I, I'll stop myself right there because this is something I, I wanted to mention at the beginning of the show. But uh, uh, when you talk about defensemen, the idea was the Islanders were going to try and bolster the defense depth uh, at the trade deadline. And that was certainly seemed to be the priority before Anders Lee got hurt. But now with Noah Dobson on the COVID list, um, Barry has gotten a really good look at Sebastian Ajo in a, in a couple of games, two, three games, and Thomas Hickey, um, who has been the feel-good story so far this season for the Islanders, comes back in. He hadn't played an NHL game in over 700 days. It went back to, uh, you know, the second round against the Carolina Hurricanes in Barry's first season here. Um, you know, last season... Uh, you know, it just a, an awful season. And, and really going back to Barry's first season, Thomas, who had been a, a top six stalwart, if not, you know, a regular 
top four defenseman for the Islanders uh, for a long time since, uh, you know, the Islanders claimed him in 2013, a former first round pick of the Los Angeles Kings who had just kind of never broken in with the Kings and had been in the AHL for for years and years and years in that organization. And the the Islanders picked Thomas Hickey up and lo and behold, you know, he he made himself a really good career with the Islanders and, you know, kind of undersized, but, you know, the cliche of just a giant heart. Um, and, And Thomas Hickey has a lot of fans, you know, around the NHL for the person he is. And now his story, you know, he gets the concussion. He loses his, his spot in the top four, top six to Devontae's, now traded to the Colorado Avalanche. Last season, uh, the Islanders have to keep Noah Dobson on the roster. Uh, otherwise, they got to send him back to juniors because the AHL, he's not age eligible for the AHL. Um, so, Thomas Hickey loses his NHL spot because of that, and for no other reason. It was not performance. But but again, uh, for a second straight year, Thomas Hickey is dealing with concussions last season. He has other injuries. He's dealing with the, the heartbreak of, of his older brother, Dan, having a, a, a rare brain tumor that eventually takes his life right before uh, the COVID pause. So Thomas Hickey is dealing with all of that. Uh, last season. Um, in, in fact, you know, Thomas Hickey was the Islanders, uh, you know, the, the local writers chapter, Professional Hockey Writers Association's uh, nominee for the the Islanders uh, nominee for the, the Masterston Memorial Trophy, which goes, of course, to perseverance and dedication to ice hockey. And, and I'll tell you what, I, I, I think Thomas Hickey is going to be the Islanders nominee for the Masterson Trophy again this season. How how could he not be? Um, but what a feel-good story, uh, the fact that this guy gets to go back into a game, has two assists in the first period of his first game since 2019, and, and just plays solid defense. You know, smart player, doesn't overextend himself. Um, so, and, and, and Barry also talked about... Uh, you know, this idea that, you know, now that he's seen Thomas Hickey and Sebastian Ajo, there's, in, in a game, there's a, a lot higher comfort level uh, with the two of them, where he's going to be more comfortable maybe, you know, giving Andy Green a break here or there. Because before Noah Dobson went on the COVID list, Barry had used the same six defensemen for the first 28 games of the season. And uh, and you've heard me say on this podcast that was not sustainable. Someone was going to get hurt or in this season, someone was going to go on the COVID list. So, uh, you know, uh, Thomas Hickey, and again, I should have talked about this at the start of the show. So forgive me for inserting this here, but um, just a, a, a feel-good story for a really good human being. You know, I, I know you guys, you know, some people get to meet the players. I have the, you know, it's part of my job, but it, it is a privilege to get to know these guys on a personal level. And, and, and I can, you know, I, I don't even have the words to describe how good a person Thomas Hickey is um, just all around. So everyone is happy for this man. Um See, Brian G. asks, will Anatoly, Anatoly 
Golishev play a few games in the AHL before playing in the NHL. And uh, Golishev, of course, the KHL star uh, the past eight seasons who just signed a uh, a one-year two-way contract after the KHL season ended. Um, Islanders property through the draft. Um, Very undersized. And, you know, I I, I think the question really should be, will he play in the NHL? I I know they signed him. It is a two-way deal. Um, I, I think in the NHL, he projects more as a bottom six forward. Um, you know, he is not the answer for left wing on Matthew Barzell's line, in, in case people are wondering that. Uh, or at least that is my take on what the organization thinks. And I, I certainly think he will, you know, get some time in in the AHL before you see him in the NHL. And, and, I, and I question whether you will see him in the NHL uh, this season. Um, Matt says uh, it's another Golishev uh, on the, <laughs> basically, are we likely to see Golishev in the lineup? And and I, I again, I, I, I'm not so sure about that. Andre says, do general managers consult the coach about a trade he wants to do or does he just do it? And yeah, look, you know, there is, there is consultation and not just with the coach. The GMs will talk to his assistant coaches with the scouts. There, there is a lot of of talking. Uh, ultimately, it's the GM's word. Um, the coach can give his input. The GM, you know, will can do what he wants to do. But in a in a functioning organization, uh, the, there is consultation and. And that is how Lou works with Barry and his scouts. Uh, the, you know, if Lou knows something about it, he will seek the coach's uh, input on that. Um, Mikey Knapp says, do you think we see Kiefer Bellows back in, back in prior to any trade deadline acquisitions? Or does first line Leo continue until outside help arrives? No, I, I think Leo is kind of situational. I, I certainly see Kiefer getting another shot. Um, you know, probably sooner rather than later. Um, Islanders Rule says, how do you view Scott Mayfield's performance and, and what are the chances of him being traded? Anything uh, behind Bellows being kept out of the lineup after several good performances? Um, I'll start with Bellows since we just answered that. Um, Again, you know, you've seen Barry do this in the past with, with, with other rookies and other young players. You know, look at the way he's handled Noah Dobson. Look at the way he's handled Oliver Wallstrom. Look at the way he's handled Michael Dalcall. It's not just you're in the lineup, you're staying in the lineup. There, there's, uh, you know, starts and stops to it. You know, you go in the lineup for a little bit, you come out, you review, you learn a little bit, you don't give the young player too much. So I don't think there's anything behind Bellows being kept out of the lineup. Uh, he had three goals in his first two games uh, on Barzell's line, then he went without a point his next two games, if I'm remembering correctly. Um you know, Barry probably just saw it going stale a little bit. And and certainly, you got to look at all three players. And, you know, as you heard Greg mentioned, uh, Barzi and uh, and Ebbs haven't necessarily been producing. So, yeah, you, you, you try something else. Um, Scott Mayfield, I think we can all agree, is not having as good a season right now as he did last season. Uh, there have been a, a few defensive hiccups here and there. 
Um, he may be missing Devontae's. Um, I, I think that's certainly on the table. What are the chances of him being traded? I, I don't think the Islanders are looking to trade Scott Mayfield. I will say he he could be attractive in a trade just because his uh, his cap hit is so low. Um, so, you know, if, if Scott's traded, I, I think it would be part of a bigger package. The Islanders are certainly not looking to take away from their de- defense depth going into this. But, you know, to get a really, you know, if you're looking at, you know... Uh, a, a really elite top wing. Yeah, I, I could see Scott Mayfield's name being bandied about in that way. Um, DG, uh, also a Mayfield question. Thomas Hickey and Mayfield used to be a very good second pair. Should the Islanders go back in that direction longer term? And uh, can you see Letty Dobson becoming a formidable pair without letting up too much defensively? Um, uh, to start with Hickey and Mayfield... Uh, yeah, they, and Scott and Thomas have talked about this, their familiarity with each other. They, they played together in the past. They were the second, you know, pretty much the second pair. Um, I, I think, I, I think you saw Barry comfortable with that pairing again and, and it seemed to get Mayfield going a little bit. So yeah, I could see them going that direction. Now, as far as Letty Dobson, you're correct in saying that, you know, both are offensive-minded guys, and usually you like tethering an offensive-minded guy to more of a stay-at-home guy, which is why, you know, Barry wanted to try Letty, Letty Mayfield, you know, because, uh, look, both, both Letty and Mayfield were looking for new partners. Letty was used to the stay-at-home Johnny Boychuk, uh, and, and Mayfield was used to playing with the really slick skater and Devontae's. Um, and, and it was an adjustment for both. Um, Lenny Dobson would be interesting. I mean, they would, they, you know, they would have to communicate which one was breaking and skating up ice and which one was hanging back a little bit. Um, you know, def- I, I, I think both are smart enough players that they could figure it out and not be a defensive liability. It's, it would not be my first option or my first priority for a pair, but if you're going to use Hickey and Mayfield, and look, the, the one player we're not mentioning here is Green, and, and, and Green is not falling out of the, the rotation. You know, he might get spelled now for a rest here and there, but he is a top six defenseman for this team. So, uh, you know, a lot of this could be moot. I, I certainly see Green Dobson being a thing when, when, when Dobson gets healthy again. Um, Cordup says, are you a fan of fake crowd noise when fans are in the building? I was not even a fan of fake crowd noise when fans were not in the building. Um, and uh, let's see. Uh, and I'm sorry I deleted the name of the guy who asked me this question. So I apologize for that. But the question was simply, your pick, who do you want? Kyle Palmieri or Dustin Brown? And look, I, I've seen a lot of Dustin Brown in the Stanley Cup Finals. And I know what a good player he is. Uh, uh, I, I will take Kyle Palmieri. I wrote a column about it, as I mentioned. Uh, yep, 
Kyle Palmieri for me. Thank you. Uh, so thank you for those questions. I, I do appreciate the back and forth, particularly via Newsday Islanders text. Thank you again to Greg Picker. And if you are interested in Newsday Islanders text, please uh, text 631-303-3766 or go to newsday.com backslash Isles text to start your 14-day trial subscription. To find any of Newsday's multimedia Islanders coverage, please go to newsday.com backslash aisles. Happy hockey, everybody.